0: Nothing is going to scale quite as fast as the cloud. And that's because they have all those resources at their fingertips already. So if you have to scale very quickly and across the globe, you can't beat the cloud for that. You really need it for that.
1: Welcome to the future of a podcast by Fresh Consulting, where we discuss and learn about the future of different industries, markets, and technology verticals. Together we'll chat with leaders and experts in the field and discuss how we can shape the future human experience. I'm your host, Jeff Dance. In this episode of The Future Of, we're joined by Lori McVitie, an F5 distinguished engineer and cloud technologist to explore the future. Of the cloud. Laurie, for those who don't know you, can you just spend a minute uh, sharing a bit more about uh, your background and, and the relevancy to the
0: topic? Sure. Hi, thanks for having me. I have been in technology, let's see, probably by the time this airs, 30 years. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, I know, it's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> I started as a software developer, I worked my way up to architect, I went into technology publishing, doing hands-on testing of interesting products and eventually landed at F5. This was before cloud came on the scene. But by this point, right, I'm well-versed in analyzing markets, looking at technology, understanding how they apply to you know, both what F5 does, but the market and customers. So, you know, I've just kind of applied everything I've learned along the way to understanding, right, what is this cloud thing? You know, what can it do for us?
1: Um, notice that you've written uh, several books, or at least helped contribute to several. Can you tell us more about those?
0: Sure. Uh, some of them are very developer-focused. Uh, XAML in a nutshell, right, is about the XAML language. And, you know, it's a nutshell book, so it's, it's pretty technical. Uh, web application security is a stack. I was very passionate about application security for a long time, decided to write something about that. Later contributed to The Cloud Security Rules, which is really a book about all of the different rules about security in the cloud specifically. We did that very early on because it was a very contentious topic. And, well, I mean, you could argue it still is today. It's it's still a problem. Uh, most recently, I co-authored the Enterprise Architecture for Digital Business. It's hanging on my wall. You'd think I could like, right, just say it, but <laughs> it's a new one. So it's it's not in my little spiel. So, uh, and that is really about all of the different domains. Uh, touches heavily on cloud because cloud is a part of that right evolution of enterprises as they move toward becoming a digital business.
1: It was noted in your profile also that you helped with the CAD profile for NCITS 320-1998. Tell us more about that. Why are you famous for that?
0: Famous for that, maybe infamous. There was, early in the days of GIS, there was an effort by the U.S. government, NOAA, to develop an open standard for transmission of geospatial information. So all of the maps that you see today, Google Maps, on your car, on your phone, were using all of that data. And SDTS was one of the ways to do that. What we did was then extend that so you could do CAD, right? 3D CAD, buildings, architectures, all sorts of interesting things. We developed that profile that eventually became that very long and complicated standard that was then adopted by governments and businesses as they were actually building out their uh, architectures and building layouts, all sorts of that, for sharing all the information that way.
1: Got it. It's clear you're, a, you're an evangelist and a longtime veteran of watching how cloud technology has emerged. And so we're really excited about your, your wisdom and, and your, your thoughts about the future. But what do you do for fun?
0: I play video games. Love it. Yeah, tabletop RPGs. I go fishing. I love to go snowmobiling in the winter. like to mess with my teenage son because, you know, that's well, fun. Not really a fan of memes although I see a lot of them, (laughs) you know, just a lot of different things, right? It just, I'll go in like waves of different, you know, activities because there's just never enough time to do all the things you want to do.
1: Awesome. I'm sure there's not many teenage sons that probably have their, their moms geek out on video games. So that sounds, that sounds pretty fun, but that mix of activities also sounds uh, healthy. So let's talk a little bit about the cloud, just kind of a little bit of the one-on-one, maybe a few definitions. I know it's debated, but then let's talk about the present state and kind of transition to the future state. In your opinion, you know, what is the cloud? Somebody else's
0: computer. Is that... (laughs) It it really is, right? I mean, you are renting compute and power from someone else on a regular basis.
1: What about some of these other terms that we hear? You know, there's hybrid cloud, multi-cloud... Serverless, edge. Can you walk us through some of the common terminology that we might uh, experience in our conversation today?
0: Sure, all debated names. I, I love that. <laughs> so let's let's start with multi-cloud because there's all right. So I would define multi-cloud as right using multiple public clouds today. So if you're using Amazon and Google, you're multi-cloud. Easy. Hybrid cloud or hybrid IT would also then incorporate your on-premises private cloud. And those exist. I know some people would say, oh, those are unicorns, but they do exist. And that's hybrid because you're basically joining two different very Different environments together, so hybrid. Um, serverless, which is a, a complete misnomer because you there is a server, you just don't have to care about it. Um, it's more appropriate, I'd say, function as a service. I just want to deploy this function somewhere, it's only going to run once in a while, it's very cheap. Great, usually associated with a cloud, public cloud as well. The edge is yet another type of cloud, but it's closer to the user. And it's really more appropriate for different types of workloads like monitoring, uh, supporting IoT, security services, uh, and then some applications that maybe you need to distribute real close to users, right? There's only so many public cloud data centers. You can only build so many data centers. But Edge ends up being very small data centers all over the world, so you could reach people that you've never been able to reach before, who may benefit from actually being able to connect and have access to the same services as everyone else.
1: What about, you know, infrastructure as a service, kind of platform or software as a service, you know, like those are often associated with the cloud. Can you kind of break down, like just some examples or how that's different?
0: Sure, let's start with SaaS, cause that's the easy one. I'm still not convinced it is cloud, uh, so. <laughs> So SaaS, software as a service. So that would be like your your Salesforce, uh, Concur, you know Netflix, My, you know technically
1: Microsoft 365.
0: Exactly, that's a perfect example, right? It's software that's delivered as a service, so you access it over the internet. Uh, we used to call those application service providers, but then Mark Benioff decided they were SaaS and cloud, and now we have SaaS. So. Platform as a service is really about providing an entire right development platform. I can actually go out and just build an application and use different components from that. So uh, a Tanzu, I, there's not a lot that are actually platform as a service.
1: Maybe Heroku or Google App Engine, like some of the some of the infrastructure that sits on the cloud to kind of to try to help you use it.
0: Yes. Yeah. Google is a good example. They really do target developers and provide a lot of services that you can go out and just build an application from, all the middleware, databases, things like that. Amazon provides them, but it's not quite as seamless or as easy because their focus is really IaaS, which right is about the compute, the network, the storage, and then as it grew, the actual like application delivery layer and the security layer that you need, so all those services. And those are more architectural than they are developer, right? It's very unlikely that a developer is going to go, oh, I need that service. No, ops or security might do that, uh, as opposed to, like you said, like a Heroku or even Google Cloud, where, oh, I need middleware. I need a messaging framework. Well, I'll go use Google, right? What
1: about, uh, I guess I've seen some terminology of like cloud 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, like I guess they're referring to kind of the evolution of the cloud. Do you have any, any examples or help us understand like how things are, have evolved from a cloud perspective?
0: So when I hear those terms, I look at it through a lens of just looking at IaaS because that's really right, where my focus would be. It's more hands-on, right? You start with the bottom. At 1.0, it was about here's a server and here's some networking and maybe some storage, right? That was the first iteration. Just go rent that. Very cool. Later on, they started adding that application delivery layer. Oh, if people are going to put apps out here, they need things like load balancing and they might need a WAF, right? Some security. They need DNS. They need other services. So Cloud 2.0 was really when the IaaS vendors started delivering differentiated services. Like here's all these cool things. That built up marketplaces. So I'd say really, you know, you get a marketplace, you're probably Cloud 2.0. Cloud 3.0 is really more about turning that into a platform. So we see that happening today, uh, especially around now you saw AI, right? Enter the scene and just bust everything up. And the cloud vendors are on this very quickly because they can, and they are starting to provide all of these different services for the developers to hook into, whether it's at the infrastructure layer. So, hey, here's some good CPUs for doing AI, because you need that more memory, and here's these services you can start calling, like these different models. So they're starting to build into a platform. And I see that as really being that evolution of of cloud 3.0 is now we're turning into an actual platform that has a marketplace and all the core capabilities, and we're going to allow you to build these really cool solutions on top of us.
1: Not just the infrastructure, but a lot of different services they can call on demand. Yes. Great. Great. In addition to the conversation we had with our guest on today's episode, we asked another expert to provide their insights on the future.
2: Hi, my name is Duncan Epping and I'm a chief technologist working for VMware in the Cloud Infrastructure Business Group. I've been with the company for about 15 years in various types of roles, but over the past couple of years, my primary focus has been multi-cloud and on top of that, storage and availability. I think one of the key reasons that we've seen the adoption of cloud growing extremely fast is because of the different expectations that a lot of our customers have in terms of time to market. In the past, when people would develop a product or a service, the expectation was that that new service or that new product will probably come to market 6 months from now, maybe 12 months from now. Depending on you know, what kind of service and and products they are selling. But what we're starting to see today is that in a lot of cases, when someone is developing a new service, they actually expect that service to be available for their customers literally within weeks or maybe months. Of course, depending on the size of the service or the product that they're offering. Now, if you have a whole procurement process when it comes to hardware for that particular platform where it needs to land on, maybe that procurement process is, you know, potentially, let's say 12 weeks, depending on what, of course, you need to acquire. And in some cases, there may even be, you know, six months. You can imagine that takes way too long for these particular solutions to be deployed on so in that particular case a cloud solution is of course great because you can just simply grab a credit card swipe it and just grab the resource that you need to have for that particular platform to be available and then start developing and of course put it into production now what we do see in this particular case when we have customers developing in cloud they don't necessarily stay within the cloud so what we also see customers doing is they move their workloads back from cloud to on-premises as soon as they have that Deployed locally, and they have all of the different resources in place to manage those new uh, production workloads and protect those production workloads on top of that. So, I think that is one of the reasons we've seen this massive explosion in terms of the cloud adoption. It's mainly the speed that people expect in terms of time to market.
1: I went to this conference in San Francisco and they, they talked about the cloud. This is 2007, but I know, I think. Uh, was it Eric Schmidt kind of made it more popular in two thousand six when he talked about the cloud, and and then you know it probably dates back a lot farther. I know it's debated about when it was first coined, but it almost seems like people use the cloud ubiquitously for the for the internet today. But as we kind of get into the uh, the present state of where we are, who would you say are kind of the big players are right now in the cloud? I know there. I know there's. I, we just talked about kind of the infrastructure. Platform and SaaS, but from an infrastructure perspective, the IaaS. Who are the big players?
0: Well, Amazon, Google, Azure, Alibaba, and say those are like your big four, right? Yeah, you can't forget Alibaba, right? We tend to be like, who are they? No, they're big. They are really big. So interesting. Ignore them.
1: So similar to Amazon, who has a an ecosystem for you know buying things as a store, the world store. Alibaba is not too dissimilar to that, but they've also gotten big into the the infrastructure a service play.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, they do, right? Just about everything. So a very, very interesting company to watch.
1: Interesting. Okay. As we think about the transition, I remember hearing, you know, maybe 10 years ago when they were talking about, I was talking to other technology leaders and they're talking about like, oh, the cloud can be now cheaper to rent than it is to kind of buy. Instead of buying the car, I'm gonna go rent the car. And there's sort of this this notion that, okay, it can be cheaper to operate in the cloud. And a lot of people started transitioning that way. And, and now it seems like what, you know, I think it's like what 90% of computers workloads are done in the cloud, something or higher. Where do you see the cloud shining? I know we also see some people still using on-prem, but where do you see like, hey, this is, this is where it shines. This is why, you know, it's why people have switched over.
0: So I think there are a few, a few cases where like, you just can't compete with cloud. It's not on cost. We could argue about just the cost of cloud for quite some time, but okay. it's not on cost and it's not on agility, but it's on scale and reach. Cloud You cannot beat the reach of cloud. Cloud can reach across the globe. How can you compete with that? If you want to expand into a global market or even just into another market um, within the U.S., You almost need to use the cloud in order to get there to deliver the experience that people want, right? Being a gamer, right? The ping cross country is bad. Okay, you do not want that, right? So you're gonna wanna use the cloud. So global reach and just reach is one. Scale, nothing is going to scale quite as fast as the cloud. And that's because they have all those resources at their fingertips already. So if you have to scale very quickly and across the globe, you can't beat the cloud for that. You really need it for that. The third reason people go to cloud, um, and this was actually something we did research on this last year and, and found out, is the number one reason is still business continuity. In the olden days, when my mother was still writing code, they would purchase land somewhere and build a second data center exactly the same. So if something happened to the first one, they could just go like that and still be in business. Why would you do that? You've got the cloud. You can effectively build a second data center somewhere anywhere in the world and have it available in the event you need it. So those three things, I mean, you know, it just seems silly not to adopt cloud if those are your use cases.
1: Right. Right. It seems like speed is the last great competitive advantage in in technology. You know, it's like we see this with uh, generative AI and kind of the AI race right now, right? If I were to, if we talk about scale and, you know, and the ability to get set up quickly, like it seems like cloud is enabling speed. Um, It may not always compute from a cost perspective, but from a speed perspective, it seems like that's another, if I were to synthesize some of the things you said, I would, is, is that fair to say like it really helps with speed?
0: I think it depends on who you are. Me, as an individual developer wanting to get something to market fast, cloud all the way. I'm not going to even try to build out my own thing, right? In a well-established enterprise with lots of processes and people and procedures to follow, okay, those don't go away just because you're using cloud right it's It's not necessarily technology holding us back. It's really people in process and and how we go through those systems that can still hold you back um, and probably does in most cases,
1: yeah, certainly, it's interesting. There seems to be some trend of people also moving to kind of on-prem and realizing, okay, i don't I don't need the cloud for everything. And maybe that's hybrid cloud multi-cloud sort of trend as well, right? Where it's like, okay, what do we need the cloud for? What do we not? Uh, we need it to scale. We need it for having a, a redundant data center, maybe, but maybe we don't need it for the stuff that's not really changing. I read an article from uh, the founder of Thirty Seven Signals, who's, who's famous for you know b- Basecamp and software that really hasn't changed much for the last thirteen years. But he seems to buck the trends, and he's talking. He he mentioned he had a famous article about like, hey, I'm I'm leaving the cloud, and um, he's you know creating his own on-prem uh, infrastructure. And that was in 2022, I think, like, I don't know if that was 10 months ago or something like that. But then he talked about it, like, and then it was, there was an article 10 months later, hey, our stuff just arrived for building an on-prem. I'm like, almost 10 months later, he gets this stuff to be able to build his own on-prem like infrastructure. And I was like, that's not fast. But I could see how this is, you know, how it's debated and how there's probably a lot of... Uh, Internal planning to think about well, what do you what do you put in the cloud? What you what could you put on prem? But it still seems to be the the major trend is you know keep moving to the cloud because it just keeps getting better and better and better. You know, and we're adding more and more and more. In it. And it how do you compete with all those services that are you know offered on demand?
0: It is, and we've seen we call it uh, repatriation. Right, we've been in the cloud, and now we're coming home. Uh, yeah. there are right. There's a variety of reasons we can go back to that cost discussion we wanted to avoid earlier because, yeah, as they always say, right, compute is cheap, but storage is not. And neither is the transfer of data out of the cloud, right? That's that's a huge cost that's biting people. They don't like that. One of the other things we see is that corollary to people and processes. Can we operate as efficiently on-premises as we can in the cloud? Well, in 2016, I think it was, Google helpfully put out a book that says, here's how to operate like a cloud provider called SRE engineering, woo, right? So organizations that are adopting that approach and learning from Google tend to be the ones who go, yeah, we're gonna go back on-prem because we know how to do it now because Google gave us all their secrets, thank you, right? And they tend to pull back, but not everything. Right, And that goes back to that more strategic use of cloud. We know we want to scale or we know we want reach or we know we need business continuity, but what are the business reasons we need to use cloud? And they're thinking about it in a more mature fashion now.
1: Versus a marketing sort of trend fashion, like, hey, I, yeah, okay, that's helpful. What are some of the recent developments that you're watching in cloud computing?
0: Well, there's two. So one is of course the, the rush to AI and how are the cloud providers supporting it? Because generally speaking, anything that requires that amount of data and right compute is going to the cloud because the compute is unbelievable. The memory you need just to run one of these models in, in process, it's incredible, right? We just, I don't have that kind of capacity. So you need to be in the cloud. So we, I'm watching that in terms of analytics and, than the AI. But I'm also watching at the infrastructure layer because there's a an infrastructure renaissance, I call it, going on where there's suddenly, a, we've realized, oh wait, we need hardware to run all this stuff. We, we still need that. And there's been a refocus on, well, how can we make all this stuff run faster, right? And more efficiently. So they're going to write all of the, the specialized chips Right, We're going back to ASICs and FPGAs. We're going to all of the stuff that uh, NVIDIA, Broadcom, Intel are developing around running AI workloads, because it's really math, really fast. And the cloud providers are starting to incorporate that and provide that infrastructure so that you're getting even more efficiency out of their infrastructure when you're running those workloads. So I'm watching both of those because it's very, very interesting to see, right? It's way up here, but it's also way down here. It's like the two ends of the stack we're looking at.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I think as you think about uh, AI, if you're running a large, an LLM, you know, a large language model, like, you know, I would imagine that, yeah, spinning up all that compute to do that. and if, And if everyone wants their own LLM to kind of specialize to them, that's gonna create more rise for for cloud, right? Because it, it has spikes, it has spikes, and how do you handle spikes? That's where cloud really shines, right? Like
0: yes, yes, absolutely.
1: Okay, that's helpful. What about you know? This seems to be a growing concern. There's you know around data privacy and security. You've probably been watching it for the, you know the last thirty years in a sense and helping with it. Thank you. But how are cloud providers kind of addressing these issues right now? Any thoughts on how you see cloud providers sort of addressing security?
0: From a privacy perspective, I don't. And and I see that personally and I see that professionally, right? Data is gold right now. And that means all data. If you've read the EULA and the terms of service for Office 365, right? You know that you are abdicating your right to your data right? They can look at it. Uh, same thing with using Gmail, right? It's only free because you're giving them access to your email and your data. And the same is true right now. There's, there are tons of legal questions around AI. If I'm going to train it on my code, if I'm going to train it on my, you know, intellectual property that I own in any form, who has access to that? Right. And even if it is only the cloud provider, well, you know, some of us do compete with Amazon in different ways. Right. Not at the infrastructure layer, but we we provide some of the same services. Who owns that? Do you you know what kind of a relationship do you have and, you know, where's the data going? These are questions that aren't answered yet. We don't know. Uh, We're still deciding who owns the copyright on, you know, AI-generated art, you know. So, I mean, we're in new territory here and it's very scary, right, because we don't know the answers yet. And you could get easily locked into something and then find out, I don't own anything anymore. So, I think people are being cautious. They're playing. Everyone is exploring. Everyone is trying to figure it out, but they're being very careful about what data they share until we get those answers you know, from someone who has legal authority to give them.
1: Behind these companies is also countries, right? And government bodies, which also compete and have security concerns. So I can see how that could get magnified, you know, at multiple layers.
0: Yes. And we see that with data sovereignty as well. Cloud is having to answer that question of data sovereignty. I need my data. My customer data needs to be stored in the country where my customer is. So even if I'm headquartered in the US, if my customer is in Norway, maybe their data needs to be stored there. Again, it's driving people to the cloud because the cloud is coming up with answers to, okay, this is how we're going to help you comply with those regulations.
2: If you would have asked anyone, you know, what would happen to cloud computing 15 years ago, I would say that the majority of people would not have guessed that we would be where we are today. Now, what I do suspect will happen is that the majority of our customers will actually start adopting this multi-cloud strategic direction. And based on that particular strategy, they will probably be selecting their services depending on cost, performance efficiency etc that is something that i think is will grow immensely in the upcoming years now of course it also means that the environments that people will be managing will be a lot more complex so if you look at it from an i.t perspective You won't be managing, you know, just on-premises workloads. On top of that, you'll also be managing different workloads and services across multiple clouds. And of course, that also means you need to have a monitoring platform available that will allow you to monitor all of these services and the different capabilities in the SLAs that you've agreed to with all of these different cloud providers. Gartner is, you know,
1: predicting nice uptick in spend. They're suggesting $600 billion in spend, so more than half a trillion by the end of 2023. Google also says that, and they're biased probably, but 41% of their respondents said that uh, they're planning to increase their spend in cloud-based uh, services and products. So even though we have multi-cloud and, and some people thinking about coming on-prem, it seems like the the trend is, hey, we're going to be spending a lot more. Why do you think the cloud is still growing so fast? It's been growing so fast for like the last 10 years, but... What are some of the key drivers behind the the increase?
0: I'm going to be controversial and ask, right? Cloud spend does not mean necessarily more workloads, more apps, more services. If you're scaling well, and, and I hope you are, right? If you're growing, you need more of everything. So if you have a workload in the cloud and suddenly you need three workloads in the cloud, you're spending more, right? You're paying more. So, right, one of the questions I have about all of these predictions and these reports about, oh, we're making more money is, but where is it coming from? Is it new customers? Is it new workloads? Or is it the scale and the consumption of existing workloads that are growing? We really don't know, right? Probably a combination of both, right? People are still going to the cloud. They're building new things for the cloud. But I I think there's some mix in. Um, just as there were in early days of cloud, they used to lump SaaS into IaaS in order to make it look bigger. Got it. So, right, I, you know, everyone does their accounting tricks. So, you know, is it growing? Yes. Is it spectacular? I'm not convinced yet.
1: Okay. Okay. I guess, I mean, if we're, if we have the majority of our workloads in the cloud and the, the economy is growing, then we would expect that to grow too, right?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: McKinsey has said that the cloud has a m- immense potential, but most companies are still only scratching the surface. Again, maybe that's uh, maybe they're in bed with some of the cloud providers and in, in, th- in that report as consultants. But one of the things they cited was recently with the pandemic, m- how Moderna had used the cloud to quickly sequence their kind of virus and, and kind of position them to fly. And so they said, well, without the cloud, they wouldn't have been able to to use all that compute power to do what they needed to do. And so they, they talked about how other companies, you know, could, could do things faster and had this prediction of picking up another trillion in value from the cloud by the year 2030. Do you buy into this that, you know, hey, we can create a lot more value from the cloud in the future, or do you think this is more marketing?
0: No, I think that right, goes back to that analytics and somewhat AI use case right? Because those kind of analytics that are looking for patterns and sequencing are all, right. They're all based on it. You know, they're doing ML and they're doing a lot of math and they're doing a lot of processing. You do kind of need the cloud, right? Most people have already decided that they're going to be doing all of that kind of analytics in the cloud. And they're definitely going to do AI in the cloud because otherwise you can't scale it that fast. You can't run those kind of workloads. It's just, it's, Expensive and prohibitive, right? So I I think there is more value, and I see, you know, there may be there may be more focus on that by certain cloud providers, or maybe new ones will crop up to say, "Hey, this is what we do. We just do analytics. We do AI, and that's all we're going to do." And you know, I can see that market cropping up as well,
1: centered around AI. Yeah, yeah. It seems in the last three to four months, like the whole generative AI, AML trend has just exploded. You know, it's like ChatGPT now has like, what, 2 billion users, and you know, between them and the ecosystem. And they went to zero to 100 million and faster than, you know, any other technology has. Obviously, that has impact on the cloud. But any, any other thoughts um, related to what we're seeing right now with generative AI?
0: Wow. It's just going to keep going. I mean, I think just like the cloud early on, right? People were trying to find... Use cases for it. And right now it's more people are exploring, right? We're trying to figure out what is it good at? What can I trust it at, right? It is, it's generative AI. It's not smart, right? It doesn't know the answers, right? There's a whole lot of probability and statistics that back up what it gives you. So that's why it's sometimes wrong. So, what can I trust it to do? Um, what can it do predictably and reliably? How can I leverage it? I mean, all those kinds of things. It's fun, right? I mean, the, the kids are playing with it. You, know, they're, you don't want to know what they're doing with it, but I mean, they're doing stuff with it, that's for sure. But they're, they're learning it, right? So we're all exploring where it's going to go. We know it's going somewhere. We also know that we've only scratched the surface of what can it do? How can I apply it, right? We've, we've started to see generative user interfaces. Right, where it's building a, a user interface, an entire app. Well, not an entire app, but the user interface dynamically, right? So, oh, wow, that's cool. You don't even, you don't even need to do that anymore. As, as a developer, I'm happy. I don't want to do that, right? So, it'll not work. So, uh, those kind of things are still coming up. Um, they just released Auto GPT, right? So, doing agents, right? Doing RPA type work, automation ah, now we're we're digging into the automation side, like it will autonomously go do a task for me. So now when does that start playing into, you know, infrastructure and IT? They have a lot of tasks that they do to operate and deploy, right? All of the applications that they already deal with. How might AI impact that? That's exciting to me. We haven't even started playing with that.
1: Yeah, it is really interesting how, You know, I think the typical person's experience with generative AI is sort of chat GPT, but the proliferation of the business applications, you know, know, like things like Unreal Engine or MetaHuman or what Adobe just released with Firefly, like all these other applications that like are using those engines to then create. That's where I think it's sort of like we're seeing this wave of New applications like you know, just in March, I, I we tracked like 50 different news events around significant advances that other companies are releasing. And uh, it seems like, from a business perspective, we all know that it's going to impact business. Kind of like how maybe we saw the static web go to the more dynamic web, where like we're now using every you know all this, all the software that's collaborative or connected. But I don't know. We haven't quite seen the business applications yet, right? We're seeing the software, but we're not we're not, we know it's going to change us, but we don't know exactly how yet. And uh, it feels like we are just scratching the surface. So I'm just kind of repeating what you said, but all of this has an impact from a cloud perspective, right? All of these generative applications that we're seeing, aren't they just tying more and more compute?
0: Oh yeah. A a lot more compute, A, a lot more. And that's in order to get up that fast right now, right, all these little, because it's all, right, independent kind of developers, startups, little groups, right, they are moving fast. And, yes, they are moving, you know, they're, they're using the cloud because they need that kind of power, but they also need that kind of, and you, you alluded to that, right, speed, a small, I don't do anything else but this, bam, in the cloud. It's up and running, and now it's got all the power it needs, right? So, you know, it's going to keep fueling that. And I you can see cloud's, going to move more and more toward supporting those kind of workloads already because they're already announcing all of the ways that you can use it and they're providing services. They're moving fast because they know they have to get ahead of this because this ecosystem is like already moving, right? And they got to get ahead of it. So they're going to continue to build that. And I think we'll see that explode in terms of, right, what you can do in the cloud very quickly uh, just because of the natural synergy between the two.
1: Yeah. That maybe ties into industry clouds. I've been reading more about industry clouds where it's like, you know, special clouds dedicated to kind of industries. Is that a good example where like maybe you're, because I don't really understand the term industry cloud, but is it sort of the amalgamation of, of services that are kind of specialized to an industry?
0: Yes. And also to the regulations, right? And requirements around security. You see it for things like the federal government, right? FedRAMP, you see it for healthcare, right? They really want that constrained because they have very special restrictions on access and security and you know, all of those kind of things, the data sovereignty rules, HIPAA, you name it. And those clouds are tailored to, we support all of your special regulations and all of your things. So you can be compliant and you can be secure, but you can still use the cloud. Okay,
1: those are good examples. Government, government kind of healthcare in particular. And then I could see other, you know, especially as we get into AI, you know, if, if you have more and more services dedicated around a certain space, maybe like there's a, a gaming cloud, you know, like...
0: Uh, <laughs> hey, is it? Yeah, it's NVIDIA, right? And you can Nvidia. you can do that now. You can run it off your, your mobile phone now, which is, right, uh, some games not so good for, but for a lot of them they are. So they're already, right, gaming is like my favorite use case for Edge, right? Reduce my pay, please, right? No lag, no lag. So, you know, we, we'll see those kind of things, yeah, crop up.
1: Nice. You mentioned Edge and, you know, we're in the robotics space, so we're we working more extensively on the edge as well. It seems like the cloud providers has also been trying to cater to that industry, you know, IoT, robotics, kind of edge. And any, any thoughts on the trends we're seeing there?
0: Yes, I see them trying. I see them not expanding far enough. Their definition of edge is not, you know, it's kind of like sort of edge, like, yeah. I'm close. But right, when you... Yeah, you talk about things like robotics, but manufacturing, any kind of monitoring, things that need immediate response, right? They can't wait. I, you think that, you know, subsecond 2nd response is fast enough, but it's not. It's got to be sub-sub-second, right? For some of these things, especially around, right, safety of people, right? We have a lot of paper mills in Wisconsin, and a lot of them are very automated, very automated. There's everything running. They can't even go out right to an edge node that's in Chicago. It's too far. It will not respond fast enough. If you need something to shut down, you need to shut it down now because the safety of a human being is involved. So, right, the cloud providers are trying. And I think for some edge cases that, you know, it suffices, but for other ones, especially around, right, OT, right, I think that's where uh, you need it even further out. You need a service provider cloud at the edge, right? Service providers at the edge, probably.
1: It seems like that's probably the case for a lot of robotics applications as well. I mean, it's like where it's like safety, I mean, the, the proliferation of robotics is, is sort of inter- more integration with humans. But if you're going to be integrated with humans, you need, you need to be responding on a dime because a, a little movement could mean you hit someone, right? And that seems to be the case also for ARVR. Right, where like you know the latency, all the latency issues that uh, they, they kind of go along with that being successful. So I would assume the cloud kind of your distance to the cloud, your cloud, your servers, that time matters as well. Yes, uh, from that yeah. perspective,
0: it, it really does. If you're right there with a near one of the cloud data centers, right, I, you're gold because that is like nothing. If you're on the fiber ring and you're right, oh, right, you've got all the speed you need. But me. No, I, I don't have that. I don't have fiber. I'm not on a fiber ring. I think the closest one is, you know, an hour and a half away. You know, you're kind of like, you're just not going to get that kind of speed. So it's not going to work as well.
2: One of the most recent pivotal developments in terms of cloud computing, in my opinion, isn't necessarily technology. But I think the biggest change has been the change in mindset that customers have towards cloud. Over the past decade or so, a lot of customers were talking about public cloud as a strategic direction and cloud-only and cloud-first. But what I've noticed over the last year or last couple of years is that a lot of customers are now talking about hybrid cloud or, in this particular scenario, they're probably mostly talking about multi-cloud solutions. And the key reason for it being is that now what they're actually doing is they're trying to figure out what it is that their platform, their application, That end users, their line of business actually require. And based on those requirements, they select a platform where it should land on. This not only provides them the most flexibility, but hopefully in a lot of cases, also provides them the most cost-effective solution and the best solution as well from a time-to-market perspective. And I think that is probably one of the biggest changes that we've seen over the last couple of years, which is the mindset.
1: As we think about the future, any other predictions, any other thoughts on kind of where things are going?
0: I mean, I think the clouds, cloud stays relevant for a long time, a very long time. I think what its focus is and where it focuses will shift. Um, I don't think it continued to grow the way it has, you know, in terms of just becoming that big and being, you know, everything to everyone. I think at some point in history and the cycles of technology and innovation and, you know, standardization, commodification, mm-hmm. innovation, right? That same cycle happens over and over. And at some point you, you can't expand anymore, right? It's just too big. You almost have to, right? It starts all over again. Like I'm going to solve this problem. And we see this in multi-cloud, right? One of the big challenges people have is I want to operate in to three clouds. I also want to be on prem, but all of you are different. You use different languages, different tools, different APIs. This is a mess. I can't do anything quickly anymore and it costs a lot. So, right, how do I solve that? Well, right, that's where we're at, right? It has grown to the point where, okay, here we are. How do we fix it now? So I think there'll, there's going to be. You know, a lot of movement toward how do we deal with that so that people can use the cloud more in order to get that growth again, except in those specific areas. So I think we're at that point. It's a tipping point. It's time it's to a fix. Tipping it. point. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. We've grown so fast. We got to fix some things now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. I have a few more questions to kind of wrap up. I've really enjoyed your insights so far. What's been uh, rewarding for you having been so deep in this space? Like what have been some of the rewarding kind of professional experiences you've had just in, in your experience?
0: I have really enjoyed being able to go out to you know, conferences or just interact with people and share knowledge and information, not even necessarily hawking a product or, or something, but just being able to right, share that knowledge so that they understand a topic or learn something new. That's very rewarding. It's very rewarding to share that and see people understand technology suddenly or, or get an idea and be able to go execute on it. So that's very re- rewarding. It's kind of fun to watch the evolution of an emergence of new technologies and then be able to say, okay, what does this mean? What is it going to do in five years? And since I've been around long enough, I've been able to watch and go, was I right? Right. Play armchair quarterback X years later. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. All right. Oh, got that one wrong, but I got that one right. You know, that's, yeah. I mean, that's kind of rewarding, especially when you get it right, because it it helps you the next cycle be able to go, no, this is what's going to happen based on X and Y and Z. So that's very rewarding.
1: What, what about, um, you know, you're, you're a woman leader in tech and you're, you're kind of more rare, even though it's, it, we see the advancements, we see some of the growth. Who are some other women in tech that, that inspire you or that you interact with uh, frequently?
0: So uh, Lydia Leong, who is the queen of cloud. <laughs> Anytime I end up on a list with her on the same list, okay. I'm like, I've made it. There's nothing better than this. I love because she is just so... Uh, so insightful, so knowledgeable, and she's just great. Uh, Wendy Nather, who is the CISO over at uh, Duo and Cisco, I believe, great sense of humor, great leader, really informed, really knowledgeable, and really fun. I love right, interacting with her and uh, just you know watching what she has to say.
1: What about in history? Can you think of uh, some women in, in history that that have inspired you as you look back? Uh, That have been in
0: tech. In tech? Wow. Uh, See, so I'll list two because it's, I think it's requisite that you mention Grace Hopper, right? Of course, the good Admiral. But then I, I guess I would say my mother, right? I think that's one of the reasons I went into tech is because she was in that early wave of tech and, you know, got me involved. I mean, you're playing with punch cards, you're like, what is this? And Right, And she gave us our first computer and and encouraged us to explore it. So right I mean, I think that's very influential in right actually following this path and and going into technology.
1: You mentioned you had a, a teenage son as as you think about you know those that are coming out of college or going into you know college or or just specializing in what what they're going to do in their career. Any advice for kind of young professionals that are emerging on the scene?
0: So, you know, what I told what I told him and the fun part is he's got an older brother who's already in data science and doing AI. So I get to hear both sides of it. But this one, this one is less into I he doesn't want to code, but he does want to play with it. And when this started right around Christmas, I told him and I would tell any young person, go play with it. Go figure out what it can do, what it can't do. Explore it when you think you know, how would I do this search? Maybe go ask uh, an AI instead. Uh, look at the, the image processing. What, what can it do, right? What, how does it change when you use different prompts, right? When I say this instead of that, look at what it does differently. Just explore it, right? Get comfortable with it and don't be afraid of it because it's going to be a part of your life and a part of your career. And you need to be comfortable with it and start getting it right into your kind of routine and your awareness. You can't ignore it.
1: Yeah. Any other advice for our audience or perspectives on the cloud before we wrap up?
0: Uh, No, just, you know, keep thinking about how can you use it? Just like any technology, like we just said about, you know, generative AI, how can I use the cloud best? What is it best suited for? Right? I have this thing to do. What thing might it work for? right? There's sure to be an application. Everybody can use the cloud in some way. You just have to think about it and actually deliberately evaluate whether it's the right thing for this project or that project, right? Every time you go to do it.
1: Thanks, Lori. Uh, It's been great having you. Appreciate your battle-tested experience and uh, the depth of your insight and just uh, your personality. It's been fun to have you uh, on the show.
0: Thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed it.
1: The Future of podcasts is brought to you by Fresh Consulting. To find out more about how we pair design and technology together to shape the future, visit us at freshconsulting.com. Make sure to search for the future of an Apple podcast, Spotify, Google podcast, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any of our future episodes. And on behalf of our team here at Fresh, thank you for listening.